You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. In the book of Exodus. And um, what a story. I mean, I love the book of Exodus and talking about Moses' life and his relationship with God. It's so unique. It's something that we can all desire and we can have as well. When we uh, left off last week, we were with baby Moses in the basket. And as we go forward today, we're actually going to chapter 12. And we're going to talk about that first Passover and also the Israelites exiting Egypt. But I really want to talk about Moses's relationship with God because you just don't go from being a baby to where you're being you're sent back to a place and demanding from Pharaoh let my people go and there's a lot that happens in your life a lot that happens in growth and in preparation Moses is said to be a friend of God that's how he's described a friend of God and he, he had accumulated relational equity with God, and his relationship with God stood hands and shoulders over any other prophet in the Old Testament that, that God had a relationship with. And so it says in Hebrews 3.2, it says, For he was faithful to God, who appointed him just as Moses served faithfully when he was entrusted with God's entire house. God entrusted Moses because of this relationship that was built that Moses had with him. And because Moses had experience after experience that he knew that God was with him. His presence was with him. God's presence, Moses pursued, for one thing, Moses pursued um, God. And, And if you have any doubt, any doubt where you are today, his presence is with you as well. He is here. He wants a relationship with us. God's presence is with us. There was a unique relationship that God had with Moses, unlike a lot of other Old Testament prophets. He didn't speak to Moses with visions and dreams, but he spoke to him face to face or rather mouth to mouth, because you can't see God's face and live. But he did have a relationship that God spoke to him. It says in Exodus thirty-three eleven, inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And in Numbers 12, out of the message, I love what this says. God says, I speak to him intimately, in person, in plain talk, Without riddles, Moses pursued God, and we should every single day. Moses was not afraid to say, show me your glory. I want to see the weight of your glory. Show me more. That was Moses' desire, his relationship, that he wanted to be close to God. So here we are. We left Moses in the basket last week. And, and now we go to chapter 12, but what happens in that journey between? 
is um, I wanted to just share a few of those highlights with you. One is in Exodus 3, Moses sees a bush that is burning, and it isn't consumed. So the burning bush. Moses has this life-changing encounter with God. As you can imagine, I mean, the bush is burning, it's not being consumed, and God speaks. He speaks to Moses. At this time, when Moses encounters this burning bush, though, he's a fugitive. He had run away from Egypt. He had been on the run and hiding now 40 years. So Moses is not a child. He's not a teenager. He's not even a young man anymore. And he encounters God in this burning bush. And he ran away from Egypt because he had killed an Egyptian man who was mistreating a Hebrew man. Now, what was happening in Moses at, at this time when, when he saw this mistreatment to a Hebrew was there was this, it was a, it was a external sign of what was happening internally with Moses because Moses was battling this thing inside him because he grew up in this Egyptian culture knowing he was a Hebrew by blood. So there was this turmoil that was going on, and he steps in, and he does this to this Egyptian. He, he dies, he runs, he hides, and now he's encountering God at this burning bush. He's been away from Egypt for 40 years. And we could make a mistake that we think that those years, those 40 years in Midian, were just a waiting time for Moses. They were not just a waiting time, they were working years. He had never worked so hard in his life because God was training him and shaping him for his future calling. But Moses certainly wasn't on just put on the shelf. And God was doing something, as he does in us. I mean, we can sometimes think, is God doing, does he, does he even see me? Does he even, you know, is there purpose? Is God working in my life? In Egypt, Moses learned how to be somebody. He was royalty. He, was li he lived in the palace. He was well-educated. In Midian, he was learning the experiences of wilderness. And we've all walked through wilderness in our life, barren. But it was necessary experiences, and it was necessary for Moses. In this time, he understood and learned the lay of the land. He was out there as a shepherd following flocks through the Sinai Desert and around Mount Horeb. He, he became very well acquainted with the area. He knew where all the wells were. And he began to know a little bit about the weather conditions. Really, um, it was the beginning of a very practical, savvy um, survival guide in the wilderness. These things were all going to be very, very helpful for him, as we know what his journey ahead would look like. God had a big project for Moses, and he was going to be leading the children of Israel from Egypt to the promised land. So Moses was out there, and he's learning the school of experience, the wilderness, the desert survival, and it could all, it was all going to be really handy um, later. 
But now he's encountering this burning bush, and God tells Moses at this burning bush, it's time to go back. It's time to go back to Egypt. Go back where you messed up, Moses. And you're not going back as a fugitive. You're going to go back as my leader, and you're going to go back as a deliverer. Only, only God can do that in our lives. Only God can take something that is bad and turn it around to make it good. Only God can give you the passion to go back to your problem so it can be someone else's breakthrough. In Isaiah 61, it says this, and it says it to us. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. So Moses goes back to Egypt and takes his brother Aaron, and they see that the Israelites are more oppressed, made to work that much harder under difficult circumstances. The Israelites are being pushed beyond human ability. And they beg for deliverance. In Exodus 5, 17 and 18, it says, But, Mer but Pharaoh shouted, You're lazy. <laughs> lazy. Why are, that's why you're saying, let us go back, go and offer sacrifices to the Lord. Now, get back to work. No straw will be given to you, but you must still produce the same quota of bricks. So it just became harder and harder for the Israelites, they were oppressed, they were mocked, they were broken down, they were ridiculed. And so, and, and Israel groaned because of the bondage. And it could be said that misery finally found a voice. But God heard their voice. In Exodus 6, 5, it says, you can be sure that I've heard the groans of the people of Israel. You are, you who are now slaves to, his, to the Egyptians, I have remembered. I have remembered my covenant with them. I love what Psalm 103 says. It says, the Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. God doesn't forget. But, Mo, um, but Pharaoh hardens his heart, and God has to step it up. In the next chapters, we look at 7 through 11, and these are the 10 plagues that are coming on them. And whether you were raised in church or not, you know and have heard about them, the water turning into blood the frogs, the lice, the flies, the livestock, pestilence, the boils, the hail, the locusts, the darkness, and the killing of the firstborn children. Pharaoh, a leader so stubborn, so prideful, that his actions cause the people to suffer. So this brings us to chapter 12. 
the Lord gave these instructions to Moses and Aaron, Aaron on what to do, when to do it, and why. It's the first Passover. Each family, it says, must choose a lamb. It says in Exodus 12, 3, announce to the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each family must choose a lamb or a young goat for a sacrifice, one animal for each household. In this way, they are choosing a lamb and it becomes part of their family. They choose this beautiful little lamb or a little goat, and they play, you know, they play with it, they sleep with it, they care for it, they feed it. And so by the time it was sacrificed, it was both cherished and mourned. God wanted the sacrifice to be something precious. And it says that your lamb shall be without blemish. Exodus 12.5 says the animal you select must be a one-year-old male, either a sheep or a goat with no defects. The lamb without blemish, this sacrifice unto the Lord had to be a perfect, as perfect as a lamb could be. And we read, because, and as we sang this morning, our worship in 1 Peter 1, 9, it was 1, 19, it says it was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. We see the correlation here. And then they're, set, they're told, slaughter the lamb. In Exodus 12, 6, it says, take special care of this chosen animal until the evening of the 14th day of this first month then the whole assembly of the community of Israel must slaughter their lamb or young goat at twilight. They went on and gave further instructions on what the first Passover was going to be and why they were doing it and how to do it. It says that they were to wear a belt on their waist, their sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Be ready to go. Exodus 12, 11 says, these are the instructions for eating this meal. Be fully dressed, wear your sandals, and carry your walking stick in your hand. Eat the meal with urgency, for this is the Lord's Passover. The Passover lamb had to be eaten in faith, trusting that deliverance was coming. And to be ready, get your clothes on, make sure you have your sandals on, have your walking stick be ready to walk in deliverance immediately. And then the instruction was, put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. Exodus 12, 13 says, but the blood, but the blood on the doorpost will serve as a sign, marking the houses where you are staying. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. This plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. The blood was applied to the top and the sides of the doorway. The blood on the doorpost showed that the sacrifice of the Passover lamb was to be remembered in daily life. That every time they went in and out of that door, they remembered that they were covered by the blood of the lamb. In Exodus 12, 10, 
It says, don't leave any of it until the next morning. Burn whatever is not eaten before morning. The reason behind eating it all is that they had to take it all. It's just like us. We take all of Jesus, not just parts that please us. It was for right now. You have to receive all of it without thinking. You can just pick and choose. The instructions also talked about yeast, cleaning the house of yeast, preparing bread without yeast. You had to be ready. You had to have your heart ready. And then it says, I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. Exodus 12, 29 says, and that night at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn sons in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn son of the prisoner in the dungeon, even the firstborn of their livestock were killed. God regarded Israel as his firstborn, his favorite people. Now, <laughs> this is hard, but there were all kinds of plagues before this one. Pharaoh had suffered. His land and his people had suffered. And Pharaoh relented momentarily on each one. Okay, enough, enough. But then he hardened his heart again. He, he had limited repentance. There was, it was self-serving repentance. There wasn't a brokenness in him. Because he kept hardening his heart again and again. If Egypt refused to release God's firstborn, then God required the firstborn of Egypt as a penalty and a judgment. It really is a nation is suffering because of their leader. When we see the blood, the Lord will pass over. The Lord looked for the blood. The blood sacrifice was the basis for sparing people from judgment. The Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. God told Moses that Pharaoh would not let them go until he was forced by God's mighty works. Again, this is tough. This is hard to comprehend. But the blood was good for the Israelites and the Egyptians. They knew what they could have done. The Passover was not exclusively for the Hebrews. The blood of the lamb covers everyone who receives. In 2 Peter 3, 9, hearing the heart of our Lord, the Lord isn't really slow about his promise. As some people think, no, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. God doesn't owe us an explanation every time he does something we don't understand yet. So, in this case, Pharaoh woke up in the night. In Exodus 12, 30 through 33, it says, Pharaoh and all of, it, all of his officials and all the people of Egypt woke up during the night and loud wailing was heard throughout the land of Egypt. 
there was not a single house where someone had not died or some, some animal had died as well. Pharaoh sent for Moses and Aaron during the night. Get out, he ordered. Leave my people and take the rest of the Israelites with you. Go and worship the Lord you have requested. Take your flocks and herds, as you said, and be gone. Go, but bless me as you leave. All the Egyptians urged the people of Israel to get out of the land as quickly as possible, for they thought, we will all die. In dealing with Pharaoh, God first had to inform his mind and then break his will. Pharaoh's problem wasn't that there was insufficient intellectual evidence. He had that. His heart had to be broken and made soft towards God. And then finally, Pharaoh knew that God was greater than all the Egyptian gods, and God was greater than Pharaoh himself. Pharaoh didn't simply allow Israel to leave. Now he commanded them to go. This was just what the Lord told Moses would happen. When he lets you go, you will, he will surely drive you out of here altogether. But Pharaoh says, bless me. Bless me also. And this shows that now Pharaoh knew the Lord, who the Lord was, that God was greater than himself. And Pharaoh was stubborn, but he wasn't stupid. He wanted a blessing. Pharaoh came, only came to this knowledge, though, through being broken. So we see Jesus in this Passover. We see Jesus, how he lives and he bonds with us. He bonds to human and human families before he was sacrificed for, him, for us. He wants relationship with us. He cares for individuals. He cares for you and for me. We see Jesus, the Passover lamb, was spotless, perfect, not stained by any sin, any moral or spiritual imperfection. It was only, and it is only, the blood of Jesus, his actual poured out life that atones for sin. The work of Jesus has to be received fully with none left to reserve. We come in only through Jesus. What happens and what happened in the word today is I met Jesus. And in this passage of scripture, there are three things that make up having met Jesus. These three things are necessary to say that I met Jesus. If you're taking notes, you can write the first, it's M dot, E dot, T dot. If you're taking notes, write number one, the M. We need a miracle. As much as we pray and believe for physical healing, physical miracles, this, the, we're talking about a miracle only Jesus can do. And that miracle is a changed heart. 
The greatest miracle we can experience is a heart change. That is why I've been praying, because I know my own heart circumcised my heart. Paul said in Romans chapter 7, Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. And David in the psalm said in Psalm 139, Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. There's a story in the book of Luke about a paralyzed man. And his friends hear that Jesus is in a house. And they want to get their paralyzed friend to Jesus. It's crowded. So they break open the roof and they lower the paralyzed man into the house in, so that he could be in the presence of Jesus. Jesus sees him coming down. He sees the paralyzed man coming down, and the paralyzed man sees Jesus. And yet Jesus says this. He says, young man, your sins are forgiven. Now, there's some religious people who were there that said, who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus, knowing what they were thinking, said, I have the authority on earth to forgive sins. Only Jesus can do that. That's the miracle that we need when I met Jesus. We need to receive a miracle of a changed heart. Just like in the story of Moses, they could not get out of bondage without God's assistance. In the same way, we cannot get out of our sin without the shed blood of Jesus. This is not about being good people. It's about being God's people. So we need a miracle. We need a changed heart. The second thing we need is we need an experience. The experience that we face testify that God is real. And it doesn't take anything to have an experience. You just have to live life because you're going to experience life in its ups and its downs, in its joys, in its sorrows. And through it all, when we experience this and we know Jesus, when I've met Jesus, we realize that God is with us through it all. As we walk and grow in our relationship with, with God and we experience life on planet Earth, and we do, our choice is clear. Do we trust him? Do we see him working good in our life? Are we allowing our experiences with him to mature us and become more of who he created me to be? And lastly, and in closing, um, in order to say, I met Jesus, we need to say, Jesus is Lord in all of my experiences. And thirdly, we need a miracle. We need an experience. And the last thing is we need our testimony. 
the last thing we must do in order to say I met Jesus is my testimony, share my testimony. If there's one thing that the church needs to keep doing, and I see it happening, I witness it happening in this church, and I'm so thankful for that, is we need to share our testimonies without sharing the edited version. Edited testimonies help no one. I just saw, the, I just saw this picture of a man holding a sign, and it was saying, when we recover loudly, we keep others from dying quietly. When Ron and I walked through a dark and broken time in our life with addiction, with prodigals, with anger, and there's a bunch more, we made a commitment to share unedited. We determined that if God's grace, his mercy, and his forgiveness wasn't for everyone, then the church means nothing. God's grace, his mercy, and his forgiveness is for everyone. And just like you, we experience the redeeming power and grace of God. And it wasn't easy. But it was good. It was very good. In the story of Moses, and it writes, he's a friend of God, Moses' life was told, and it was not edited. He killed a man and ran. He lost his temper with God. We see his mistakes and failures over and over. His brother Aaron made a gold calf and blamed everyone else. The Bible has not edited the failures and of those that he uses and those he loves. There were prostitutes, terrorists, liars. It's not edited because God is not intimidated by our failures and our messes. Those very messes are life-redeeming messages to others. Our testimony of God's redeeming grace in a very dark and uncertain time gave others hope to get out of their mess. My vulnerability gives others hope. I met Jesus, the Passover lamb. In finishing, would you stand with me this morning? We need a miracle. We need a heart change. We also need and experience. We need to experience Jesus in all the things that we go through in life and have the perspective of the cross, of redemption, and able to make Jesus Lord of our life. And lastly, we need to share our testimonies unedited. That way God will be glorified. There's prayer teams available, and um, if you haven't met Jesus, then you can do that today. It's easy. It's an invitation that he gives to all of us.
just say, Lord, I want to, I want you, Lord of my life. Jesus, come and be my Lord. Forgive me of my sins. And he will. So let me pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> you are not intimidated by our messes. Thank you that your blood is enough. It is more than we could ever imagine. Life-giving. Freedom. Thank you, Lord. We give this time to you, Lord. We glorify you. We look to you, Lord, and we thank you because we met you today. In your precious name, amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbyfoursquare.com.